episode 100. Welcome to this momentous episode of Composer Quest. I'm your host in Minnesota, Charlie McCarran, and I've been producing this podcast for almost two years now as a way to spread knowledge about composing and songwriting. In honor of this 100th episode, I wanted to bring back my guest from the very first episode, Mitchell Adam Johnson. If you heard this first episode, you'll know that he has a knack for bringing music theory into pop songwriting. So in this episode, we talk about everything from his chord progression ideas, to tritones, to Motown bass lines, and we talk about some other big questions like, what's the purpose of music? Mitchell's first ever solo EP is coming out in just a few weeks, so in this episode we'll get some sneak previews of his new songs. Stick around till the end of the episode, and you'll hear the premiere of a new song collaboration between Mitch and me. Before we get into our talk, I just have a couple of announcements. First, we had an awesome turnout for quest number 11. 19 composers submitted 24 halloween compositions for the Twin Cities Trio to perform. This one you're hearing is called The Dance of the Scarecrow by Michael J. Wynn Stanley. Congrats to everyone who finished. If you're in Minnesota, come join us for the concert on Saturday, November 1st at 5 p.m. at the Underground Music Cafe in St. Paul. If you missed Quest 11, don't worry, because Quest 12 will be announced very soon in the next episode. You can stay in the loop about Composer Quest news and about these composing quests through Facebook, Twitter, or just email me and I can put you on my mailing list, charlie at composerquest.com. If you're a longtime listener who has found this podcast helpful and you want to help me keep creating it, consider becoming an official Composer Quest patron. You can contribute one, two, or three dollars per episode, and you'll get some special bonuses for that. Check them out at composerquest.com slash patron. Thanks once again to all of my current patrons for helping out. Time to get into my talk with Mitchell Johnson. We start out by talking about this episode's intro theme, which you heard Mitch playing on guitar and singing. It's a new version and arguably improved, of his original theme from episode one. Welcome back to Composer Quest. Thanks, Charlie. So, that theme song you wrote a year and a half ago, obviously you didn't spend too much time on it, but but it's still awesome and catchy. Oh, thanks. Uh, So, like, when you're trying to reharmonize it on guitar, what's going through your head? Um, when I reharmonize a song, I think about, uh, extensions like sevenths and ninths and thirteenths. And I, uh, when I was reharmonizing that, I thought about the melody and I, you know, you think about which chords would be interesting and safe to use, uh, over the melody that I had already written for that, uh, last time I recorded this song. Composer Quest, Composer Quest, it's the Composer Quest. So like, um, when I go... It's the Composer Quest, it's the... I'm singing the La or the Sixth, and then 
I thought it would be cool to go to a diminished two, which has the flatted six in it. Because I thought that would sound really nice over the um, so fa mi. But that's how I think about uh, writing songs in general, is just uh, what chords can be interesting and make the melody stronger and more memorable. Because you could, you could like reharmonize Mary Had a Little Lamb and it would be gorgeous you know, if you wanted to, is, um, but, Could or you? you can just do it really standard. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, let's hear it. That's good. I like that deceptive cadence in there. Oh, what would you call that one? Mm-hmm. Very churchy. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, there weren't a lot of original chords in that, just a couple. Like the flat three, the, I did that in C and I put an E flat seven in it. That's a, kind of a creative chord. The rest of it was just pretty standard secondary dominance. Uh, I think I used the 5 of 6, 5 of 5, and 5 of 2 in that. And those are all, like, really common. So, like, we explained in your first episode, 5 of something is basically just a way to change key. Yeah, it's kind of pulling tension towards a... It, well, dominant chords are the five chords are are the chords that uh, pull the most towards the tonic. So, like, if you just play the five chord, that really wants to resolve back to the one chord. So, if you're playing a song in C and you just played a G chord, everybody's going to be on the edge of your edge of their seat until you play a C again. So, putting secondary dominance is throwing other chords in there um, that aren't in the original key that aren't in the diatonic scale and um, throwing uh, those chords in there to pull at, to act as a dominant uh, towards a different, a different little mini home base. And then you, it just kind of keeps the song turning and um, keeps tension growing. And that's mm-hmm. what I did. That's cool. Thanks. I like that idea. Mini home base, like within oh, yeah. a song. Yeah. I mean, because like people can hear where those chords are going, regardless to if they know what they are, if they know anything about music, they know when those chords resolve. That's exactly what they were hoping for. Yeah, that's bringing me back to like when I first was in ear training classes and thinking of like how you can hear that when you're listening in music. Like you might not be able to list off the whole series of chords that you hear well you can but other people can't and i couldn't either but the one thing that i could 
listen for was hearing where there's like a five to one motion. You kind of le- want to like listen to the bass part in most cases. Yeah, if, people who people who listen to who li- pay attention to bass lines are better at picking out songs. That's for sure. Hmm. People I know that can that are really good at picking out songs. They're listening to the bass line a lot. I've noticed. Hmm. But yeah, that five that five to one motion, and also uh, a dominant seven chord really wants to resolve because of the the tension within that chord. So if you're in C, if you play a f- five chord, this note that wants to pull so badly up to, and this note wants to pull down those two notes right there are the ones that pull the hardest and that's why secondary dominance works so nicely yeah and i always think of it because it's like a tritone mm-hmm. well it is a tritone it is um those that third and seventh yep, want to th- pull in okay. oops yep so the other thing you can do to psych people out is have that tritone of the third and seventh resolve outward. I don't know. Do you remember that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a really cool trick, too. Because uh, you, if you have that tritone resolve inward, it goes where it's supposed to be, you know? But if you have it resolve outward, then you can just... All of a sudden, that tritone takes on it. That's the same tritone. But it's it's very strange. So all of a, all of a sudden, the, what was the third and what was the seventh becomes the seventh and the third of a of a key that's a tritone away. The bizarro tritone. Yeah, <laughs> even <laughs> it's though it's, a, it's magical. Thing, but... So yeah, you can. Re- it's weird because you can resolve you can resolve that tritone to C easily, or you can resolve it to to F sharp, which is like really really unrelated to C. Yeah. But if you ever need to change keys to a yeah. tritone away, it's a great that's a, trick. That's one trick I remember from music theory. Yeah, tritones are absolutely crazy. <laughs> but um, going back to talking about bass lines, I was listening back to your Spencer McGillcuddy single, Wish I Was Your Girl. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that's the last thing we put out. Yeah. So that, um, you said you wrote basically just... By writing the bass part first? Yep. talking to one of the guys from Daptone Records about another Motowny song that I had written and he gave me some advice and he was telling me to write from the bottom up and to build a song from the bottom up if you want to capture that you know that R&B soul soul sound and you know maybe he didn't mean literally start writing from the bottom up maybe he was just talking about production but I took it from I took it as writing from the bottom up because 
you know, when you start thinking about a lot of those songs, like My Girl, you know, just the, you know, you hear that bass line come in and uh, everything kind of builds on that. And same with like, You Can't Hurry Love, you know, you have the, and the whole song just builds on that, you know, these like iconic things. And those are like the, those are the like maybe the best Motown songs overall, or or, or yeah, even like I want you back, just down, you know, just all that. Mm-hmm. I mean, those songs are so the bass line is as catchy as the melody, maybe even catchier. And when you hear those, it really pulls you into the song, and you know exactly what it is. And it was one <coughs> bass player who played like everything, right? Yeah, pretty much one bass player for one. Well, I mean. There, there's a couple, but but James Jamerson for Motown was the guy who really set things in motion for that for that sound. A jazz bassist. Did um, he make up those bass parts? Do you think? Yeah, I think I think he did. Uh, I think that the songwriters Brian Holland, uh, Lamont Dozier, and Eddie Holland kind of gave them skeletons of songs to work with, and sometimes they had things exactly in mind. But I think they kind of let them let those uh, instrumentalists run with their parts a bit and kind of come up with their uh, sound. And so anyway, yeah, when I was writing uh, Wish I Was Your Girl, um, yeah, I started from the from the bottom, uh, the bass line. Mm-hmm. So Spencer is kind of dispersed throughout the country now. Yeah. Um, we're I think Ryan's in Florida and Brittany's in California, and Nicole and I are in... St. Paul and Minneapolis now. We we all used to be in, in this house that we're recording this podcast in right now. We all used to live in this house um, together. So that was kind of the last thing we've put out. We, we still have um, a bunch of songs that we haven't released yet or songs that we're working on. Um, There's a fan question for you from Maya Heyman. Oh, she's nice. She's wondering when is Spencer McGillicuddy going to put out a kid's record? <laughs> Um, well, actually, we, we've talked about stuff like that before, um, putting out records in different genres of music, but definitely kids' music is something we've... Uh, I mean, I'm probably way more into it than the other three in the band, the, the idea of kids' music. Like, I, I actually listen to kids' music, like, when I'm driving. <laughs> and I, like, blast. Like, I blast, like, Muppet Babies. <laughs> oh, man. Muppet Babies. Yeah, I love I love that music. Yeah, I I would really like to put out like maybe not a whole entire record at for maybe I don't know an EP or something with Spencer. I think it seems like Spencer's biggest fan base are always little kids or like pretty old people. Like not that many people <laughs> our age listen to Spencer. Well, I like how your music, like in your different bands, kind of spans every era. Oh, thanks. Except maybe like late '80s. I don't know. Late '80s, yeah. There's not much, <laughs> not much late because you have Spencer, like '50s, '60s. Yeah. Yep. The Amendments, '60s, '70s. Yeah. Like rock. Yeah. yeah. What, what's What's it like? Um, Patchwork being Horses in that band? is like '70s, '80s. Yep. And then my band that actually existed in the '90s is very '90s. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the Patrick Horses, I was listening to that today and really liked a lot of those. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I think, so you wrote um, 
Monday I wrote Boys. One, yeah, I wrote one song, Monday Boys. Ryan wrote um, Cold in California. Uh, we did a Fleetwood Mac cover. Then the last song we all wrote together Yeah. on that EP. So Monday Boys, I really like... I don't know if you guys planned this out, but it seemed like it was kind of... It starts as a little bit country-western... like morphs into kind of 80s synthy was that planned yeah i think so um with that album sorry that ep it was really fun to work on because we took one of the worst genres of music that has ever existed like (laughs) late 70s early 80s like what ended up happening to bands like the eagles which you know they're a pretty good band and like fleetwood mac and a lot of these bands that were like they were a country-ish band that's poppy and rock rock and roll as, as well and then you know as they got into the 80s they're very confused and they i mean they use these synthesizers that sound really dated to us now um and they they kind of crapped on some songs that could be really beautiful. <clears throat> uh, but I, I think you guys did it. Yeah. Tastefully. Well, I mean, we we took a genre that was bad and tried to, and tried to make it appealing. I mean, I don't know how well it worked, but it was fun. Um, Tyler had a good time uh, finding Producing these, it. yeah, finding <clears throat> these really authentic uh, synth sounds and vocal effects. And, um, and you hired a slide guitarist. Yeah. Right? And, um, Paul Hilton. Who, yeah, if you guys are looking for an awesome pedal steel player, Paul Hilton's amazing. Uh, he, you can find him online, and uh, he does a good job, and he gives a good deal. And um, he's the, after we did the uh, Patchwork Horses stuff um, around the same time, he also played all the all the pedal steel on my solo EP, which... Um, which we'll get to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just a beautiful... I'm, I've always been attracted to instruments, that um that can slide like trombone yeah i love trombones i love trombones i love uh stringed instruments like cello and violin and viola and i love yeah the pedal steel i think there's pedal steel is really interesting because it's i don't know how many instruments there are that you can slide chords you can like slide multiple notes at the same time so smoothly I, i don't i can't really think of a ton off the top of my head but like when you slide and when you scoop up to a note, it can enhance the sound so much. Even the tiniest scoop, like if you just tried it, if everything was hit right on, you know, it starts to sound really robotic. Um, but just having these swoopy diving and mm-hmm. um, lifting strings and <clears throat> yeah, it's that, beautiful. I I remember hearing that people started doing scoops with their voices because early recordings when people tried to sing straight tones it was just like too robotic sounding at least on like an original recording it sound same with vibrato yeah why they in the recording era people started doing these like scoops and vibrato to make it sound more human right yeah yeah you know scoops can add a lot whether it's the lead up to a note or um if it's within a note you know that's being held um, I think just that warm vibrato or that warm scoop is, it's very vocal, you know? Mm-hmm. 
so the chords in Monday Boys. Yeah. What what's the chord progression? Because it's I was trying it out on piano a little bit, and it's um, pretty cool. There's nothing really special about the actual. I mean, just the names of the chords, like in their basic form. But um, if you stick little inversions in there and passing tones, I think it it can really color a song in a nice way. So sometimes you can take a song that's just like basically one or two chords, and if you stick different bass notes in there, it can make it sound really nice. So it's like, yeah, the, it's the one chord. So I guess so. We're in the key of B. And then I do a first inversion. So that's just putting the third of the chord in the bass. So. And so putting a D sharp in the bass. So really the song is just one, four, one, four, two, basically. And, um, I've always been drawn to this uh, just kind of melancholy idea of not not resolving. Uh, I, I love hanging on the two chord instead of going to the five chord. Um, I think when you're writing songs, I think it's a cool idea to take the chord that it would usually round out a chord progression. You know, a lot of chord progressions, people tend to end, end their chord progression on the five before they start back over on the one. But I love just hanging on the two, like just going... People, you would usually go. You know, just go to the five chord, but I love just hanging on that too. I think it's, um, it just kind of adds a sadness there. Like it's, it's a little unsettling and yeah, it's, it's really more simple. subtle. Yeah. I just really like that chorus too of like oh yeah the, the. Monday boys are talking on the late radio and the Tuesday goes another frequency to right yeah and then um Yeah, that's, I love, yeah, there, I think um, toying around with that, you know, the six, the three, and the and the two chord, those, the three chord is, is I think, like, criminally underused, and, I mean, it's it's used a lot in, with, with great songwriters, but just in, in, like, radio music, you don't hear the three chord very often, and I, I think it's really sad, just, da-da-da, talking, and then, 
strings on the two again, you know. changing key in there during the chorus or no, how does that well i mean work? kind of you're, we're just uh we're going to the um the relative minor so so uh yeah six, so you'd call it the six chord three chord uh the only accidental chord with accidental in there is the flat seven right before right before you resolve which i it can't that can be like a real ugly chord but um so how do you do it in a non-ugly way? Um, I, I think it's uh, again, it's it's about the melody and it's it's really about the style of music. If you're like George Thorogood, that chord is gonna suck <laughs> because of how you use it, um, <laughs> your style of music. But I mean, if you if you do it in a melodic way, I mean, the Beatles do a really great job with that flat seven chord, and um. Yeah, yeah, it's I don't like what Beatles song would um say? Hard Days Night and uh It's Only Love. Oh. It's right here. And I, I think it's um, you know that that card might be more actually yeah it just might be more about the style like if you put it in a, in a song that is kind of a melodic song, it can be a really nice chord. A lot of people resolve that to the four chord or resolve it to the five chord because you have the. You mentioned your solo EP, yeah. Half Moon Lane, yep. which is sounding awesome. Thanks. You were saying it's uh, it came from a collection of demos that you had been working on for yeah. a while? Yeah. I, um, my desktop is just like covered with little icons and little folders. Um, I just have all these like little snippets of songs and little parts, and I record them on like quick time player or like voice recorder or something and uh then i put them in a folder um that just and i title the folder something like just the mood like maybe beatily or maybe um too sad or something you know just something or, or psychedelic you know or just something that will kind of remind me of what it is when i look at it i probably have like 300 like little bits of songs and i probably and maybe all... even more and they're all on your desktop. Yeah, a lot drives of them. me nuts when I look at your desktop. <laughs> but <laughs> and so yeah, and then I and then I just kind of go through those. And then um, anytime I go back and listen, and I hear like a little icon of a song that I like, then I'll make a little best of folder. And so out of the whatever hundreds of songs on my desktop, every every now and then I get like a, a solid folder of like twenty songs. Then I, that's usually about the time when I get around to writing the lyrics, and then. So these ones were demos that I, just this time, it was the ones that had piled up into a best folder. So you gave them to Tyler Thole, <coughs> producer extraordinaire, yep. who's been on the podcast before. Yeah, he's awesome. Uh, and he just kind of picked the four that he thought were the coolest. Yeah, the ones that he wanted to work with. 
I started the production with just an acoustic guitar and a vocal, and he built the song up around it, and then sent it back to me, and then uh, any ideas that I had, I would kind of build up on top of that. So it's kind of a game of catch. Um, so then I had I arranged some bassoon for Maya Heyman to play on there, and um, uh, some cello for Dan Lewan. <laughs> you know arrange some other instruments on there some piano parts that i had in mind pile on top of that and then tyler and i just kind of keep bouncing it back and forth with mixes and uh yeah he's uh he's done a great job with these songs so when you're doing the recording on your end um do you have any tips for people who want to do recording on their own because i know your setup isn't like super elaborate or anything right. <clears throat> you mean my home setup yeah yeah um well i think uh recording on your own a lot of it is about taking chances and just experimenting like even if you don't know how to play an instrument that you want to add just just try it i mean a lot of the best music ever written is just people experimenting in the studio i mean and obviously a lot of the time they had a really nice setup but also a lot of the time they were playing instruments they didn't really know what they were doing or they didn't really know how to technically play this instrument. Um, like at the beginning of, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of stupid to talk about Weezer on here because they're such a disappointment. But <laughs> on um, like Pinkerton is a great record and I think um, there's some clarinet on there played by Rivers at the beginning of Across the Sea. Huh. You can't even tell it's a clarinet because it's just he doesn't know what he's doing, but he just figured it out. And the Beatles do that all the time, you know. Like George is just figuring out how to play the sitar. And on some of my recordings, some of the uh, Spencer recordings, I just you know I'm I'm okay at um, trumpet and trombone, but I mean I obviously could have hired someone that was better. But there's some charm in just fooling around with um, a microphone, just making sure you're not peaking or distorting the sound. And just adding instruments. and Because a lot of times when people get a home set up, they're just like, oh, just me, an acoustic guitar and a microphone. You know, it's just like, well, that that's great. But the more you experiment, the more you're going to grow as a musician in terms of just songwriting and playing and production and everything. And mm-hmm. and I think it's interesting how you're, you set out. I think it seemed like you were setting out with your solo EP to be a little more stripped down just acoustic guitar and you singing yeah which i really like that those versions too but oh, thanks it's also fun hearing your like layered yeah uh, instrument versions thanks yeah i did I, I made it a point to not tell tyler what i had in mind for these songs just because we i had been doing that for so long and people have these egos um a, a lot of songwriters have an ego and they want their songs to sound a certain way but it's great not not all the time, but it's great to let a producer just kind of do their thing with it and just not and just trust them. Mm-hmm. I think the first example of that was when we were on our road trip uh, three years ago or four years ago. Oh yeah, um, when you wrote the song when Donna came back. Oh yeah, without using a piano or anything, 
and yeah. you just sent your ideas to Tyler to yeah. mix while we because you were on the road and you couldn't finish the song in time for this challenge. Yeah, it was. So this is Spin Tunes. Charlie's talking about, and uh, do listeners know what the spin, what Spin Tunes is? Um, yeah, <clears throat> it's a songwriting so. contest. And anyway, um, I wrote the chord progression and the melody and the lyrics when I was on the road, and I just um, sang it to Tyler over the phone. Uh, emailed him the chords. I didn't even have access to a computer, actually. I think I just told him the chords over the phone and then let him do what he wanted to do with it. And that that's a, that was a lot of fun. I love writing with without any instruments or any anything. Some of the songs I'm proudest of have been written without any instrument in hand. Just uh, writing a melody just while while walking, or in the shower, or you know during like a prep hour at school, and then just writing down the chords. I, I can't really. I've tried to just write a melody without hearing the chords, like in my mind, but I. I can't even, I don't know. Like you I just pretty much attract it from, yeah, it's, they kind of come at the same time. So it's, uh, that's interesting. Cause we were just <clears throat> before we started the interview, you saw my lead sheet sort of thing. That was my dream song that oh, I yeah. had just, and my melody came to me in my dream, but it's not like I was thinking what chords they were, but I guess I was hearing them. Right. Along with it. Yeah, but, I think... Yeah, yeah, it's weird. It's strange how we learn... In, we, in school, we learn so much about how the human body works, and we learn so much about how sentences are put together and, you know, how math problems are worked out and all these formulas and stuff. And regardless to if we're ever going to... If we give a crap about them or if we're going to ever use them. But music is like something that pretty much everybody is really into like if you meet somebody that's just like i don't like music like you might as well just like walk the other way because they're not they're definitely not cool (laughs) but uh yeah so it's it's strange how in school you don't really learn how music is put together like you might learn how to sing a song but nobody hardly anybody takes the time to learn the cogs that are inside of a song i mean regardless if you know what a chord progression is or if you understand chords at all like if I were to play a chord progression and hit a wrong chord, you would know. We hear these things and uh, kind of subconsciously, you might not be able to put into words uh, what's going on, but you're hearing things. And like, if you're hearing a song in your dream, that's a great example. Like, let's say you just dream like, Hey, Jealousy or something in your head by the Gin Blossoms. You're you're probably hearing like the chords and hearing the music and everything but the only way you could be hearing that music in your head is if somehow somewhere in your brain you had some understanding about bass lines and chord progressions mm-hmm. otherwise in your head all that would be happening is the melody but we hear this accompaniment and so i think it would be cool if 
in school, kids got a chance to learn how songs are put together and why we enjoy certain progressions. It's not that complicated. Like I learned way, way, way more complicated stuff in like 10th grade math, you know, the stuff that is just like, if I, even if I think about it now, it's still like, it's really sophisticated. Yeah. So I want to ask you about your songs that are my favorites on the EP. Oh, thanks. Um, so Abby Brown, uh, it's kind of a different style than you usually do too. Yeah. And I think one thing that makes it really cool is that it's like you're changing the chords on offbeats. With that guitar part kind of ringing in my ears for a couple days, a melody kind of just came to mind, I think unintentionally. I won't believe all the things I hear. change it's a different day different year it's a brand new year at school when you're writing if you're getting sick of falling into the same patterns over and over and over uh try just writing an accompaniment that isn't just straight up chords and if you can't sing along with that then record it and just kind of keep it on a loop and then just sing along to that so you don't have to play and sing at the same time. And it'll totally change the way your songs are um, constructed in the final product. It's really cool. Yeah. Another one that I think is maybe my favorite is Closing Door. Oh, thanks. I really like the lyrics in that, too. Thanks. I don't know. What's the concept behind that one? I like the image of a door that's swinging shut that you're running for, um, trying to make it out the door right before it closes, like Indiana Jones style, you know, like the walls coming down and you're trying to get mm -hmm. under it before it closes. A lot of these songs I try to pull from experiences that I've had at other times in my life. So this wasn't really applicable to anything that's going on in my life at the moment, but just the idea of trying to make your escape from whatever it might be like a, a crappy situation you're in or a, somebody you're dating or something you know and this relates to stuff that happened to me you know when I was much younger all these intense emotions and if you become a songwriter a lot of the time you try to capture those intense feelings in a song when you're younger and it just turns out terribly all four of these songs I've tried to write songs about this feeling before but I couldn't really put it into words or put it into music 
in a way that seemed uh, like I want to share it with anybody. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's another great tip for songwriting is pull from an experience uh, that happened to you when you were, you know, much younger. Yeah, that's interesting because that's like kind of the opposite advice you'd think would work because like you're more freshly in the emotions at the time they're happening but maybe you'll have a more mature and yeah listenable song yeah afterwards yeah it's it's strange because like you obviously want the song to sound like it's very present with the singer um so you want that emotion to be captured so it's you got to really get into the mindset like you can't just be like oh i'm gonna write what about how i felt when i was a senior in high school here we go you know like maybe read a note that you got or something or an old email and like really get into this mindset and kind of break your own heart all over again but you get this weird combination of your past self and your present self and you can write as if you're in the situation but you're also writing as if you like time traveled into the future and you're looking back at it so you can probably get some cooler ideas in there when you're looking at things in retrospect. Mm-hmm. I think it works well on your EP too, because your vocals are very like innocent sounding, like thanks. you're like a younger Mitch. Oh, thanks. Or, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's a cool style that I haven't heard too many people doing like very innocent sound. And I don't know if that's the right term, but... No, I know what you mean. It's... When you have a clear male vocal that's higher in terms of um, pitch, I think uh, there's an innocence that gets captured there. I know, um, like, when Brian Wilson recorded uh, Caroline No for uh, Pet Sounds, his dad, who had usually pretty bad ideas, suggested that he speed up the tape to raise the song a half step. And uh, when... it totally captures the song, um, the innocence of the song and that time in Brian Wilson's life. You know, that album is about transitions from youth into adulthood, basically. And um, maybe that's where I'm at right now, which is kind of (laughs) sad. But uh, yeah, no, I I agree with you. There's an innocence in, in in a higher vocal. And when Caroline No was moved up that, half step I, i've heard it i've heard the original as well and it yeah it definitely helps capture the innocence more it's kind of a cool uh, combination of wisdom and innocence when you if you can get it sounding just right like art garfunkel or something you know yeah i want to ask a fan question here from your producer tyler thall uh he is wondering is there anything that helps or hinders your creative process Heroin mostly. <laughs> that helps my creative process. No, um, I think something that uh, helps the creative process is walking alone and just singing melodies and whistling songs. And, and then when you get to your destination, just record it on a phone or a computer or write it down on a piece of music paper or whatever. So I think that's that's the best thing you can do. Spend spend some time alone. I mean, if you just sit alone, I I, I really I really believe in the, the the power of moving and just like feeling the wind and being cold or being hot, 
or you know just kind of yeah. traveling and seeing different houses and and the leaves changing colors or the snow crunching it you know it can really yeah it, that sounds that's... like a robert frost poem or something <laughs> but it's uh no it really does help and that's then... interesting because actually i interviewed <coughs> a psychologist about creativity and she was saying that the best situation for being creative is having a, a lot of different senses coming at you so like being in the shower yeah it's good because you have like the water and the sounds of i don't know whatever yeah. <laughs> no yeah yeah that's i mean i guess that that lines up pretty well with the idea of walking you're moving and you're smelling things and you're hearing things and seeing things and if you have like a coffee or something in your hand you're tasting things and that yeah that actually i think is i think that can be a pretty awesome influence as well what about the opposite of that hindering your creativity i think comparing yourselves to other uh, musicians and other people i i I guess not just creatively i think that's a that's a good way to hinder yourself in any aspect of life and some sometimes it can inspire you but you have to get pretty lucky like if, if you're holding yourself up against like the beatles or the beach boys which i do a lot which probably isn't a good thing. Um, you're you're like never gonna make it. It's a huge yeah. accomplishment if you can write something as good as like a mediocre song by them. You know. Yeah. Do you think you uh, struggled with the idea that you're older than the Beatles were oh, when yeah. they broke up? Yeah, that was actually like the first thing I thought of when I was well, one of the first things I thought of when I turned thirty-one, which is how old I am now, and because uh, yeah, like. I think John is 30 in 1970 when the Beatles were done. Yeah, that's that's a sad. Thanks for bringing that up. Hey, but you're past it now, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, when you compare yourselves to especially yeah, that's another thing. If you compare it's it's too maddening that Brian Wilson was able to do more like by the time he was 23 than like anybody any other composer like really gets done in a lifetime yeah well <clears throat> there are some freakish people out there yeah who... pop, pop I, you're a freakish person though i think too Thanks. in a good way so um another fan question here from maya uh you have unusual instruments in your album, like slide guitar and bassoon, uh, which she played bassoon on. Yep. How do you choose your instrumentation? What what I love doing is drawing from other productions of songs that I've heard. Um, so not not stealing or borrowing melodic ideas or chord progressions, but taking a production idea um, from one artist or their producer rather, and then um, and taking another one from another artist, and com- it's all about combining, I guess. It strange combinations. So Tyler and I both are really inspired by John Bryan, and he, I mean his whole approach is the coupling of strange instruments, ones that are kind of outdated uh, to a lot of people's ears, and that's what I think the greatest producers uh, and arrangers have done how they accomplished their sound was just putting things together that don't usually go together 
like Brian Wilson, even playing things in unison, like doubling, uh, whatever, uh, harmonica and, uh, like a pizzicato, you know, viola or something like playing the same exact line. Um, it becomes a new instrument, especially if it's in mono and it's, you know, coming out the same exact speaker, this sound that's all captured, um, in one melodic line. Mathematically, there are a lot of combinations. And to this day, I'm sure there are instruments that have like never been recorded together in one recording, like a certain combination. Cause the, you know, it's, it's endless. There are so many instruments and you can combine three or two or four and whatever you can have them in harmony or unison. So, um, with this record, the parts that I arranged and I had, I told Tyler for the parts that he arranged to really get out there too, and, um, put some strange instruments together. So we have, you know, dulcimer and mellotron and bassoon. So like one of my favorite lines on this EP half moon lane in terms of sound is this riff that comes in on the second verse of Abby Brown and it's, uh, mellotron sampling strings it's a well yeah it's a sample of a mellotron sampling strings and i doubled it with maya playing bassoon i've tried but i can't kick you out of my dusty Also wondering, while you're writing a song, is there a component of the music, for example, melody, harmony, lyrics, groove, or production, that you think about more than the others, and why is that? Um, I think harmonically, when I'm uh, writing a song, I think about how the melody fits with the chord progression. I, I know I've said that a lot. Um, so, for example, if if I'm in the key of C and I'm singing an E, or the melody is going to be an E, um, and I'm playing a G chord or the five chord, what what I'm thinking when I'm writing is, okay, this is the, the me of the song, this is the third of the scale, but it's the sixth of the chord that I'm playing underneath. So I'm thinking about how these notes relate to the chord progression, and how they're going to help pull and color the chords in different ways. And when, when people are first writing songs, it happens all the time. You'll find yourself just singing a note in the chord. And if you're playing a C chord, you're either singing a C, an E, or a G. You know, and often people just sing the C. And that would be, you know, really boring if you just sang a note in the chord all the time. But if you stretch your melody outside of the chord, and you can either resolve it into that chord or pull it out of that chord as a passing tone to the next chord. That's what sticks out anyway for me. Mm-hmm. So Tyler is also wondering, why do you write... Oh, Tyler, just shut up. <laughs> if you're hearing this, shut up. <laughs> Go on. Well, he's... Um, I'm just kidding. Asking, <laughs> uh, why do you write music? And you can answer this in one of two ways. Ooh. Why do you choose to express yourself through music over other mediums? Or what is the purpose of music, if any? That's 
so deep. It is. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll answer both these uh, branches. So I like to express myself in music because it's so strange to so many people at, while at the same time being so commonplace. Like, it's amazing that you can't, like, physically see music and that it's just in the air. And I love that. And I also like, there. you know, not everybody reads and not every everybody... Um, I guess there are a lot of people into film, you know, and not everybody appreciates visual art, but music is so widely appreciated that I love <clears throat> there's always something for you to discover and there's always somebody who would appreciate what you come up with. Like, seriously, no matter how bad your song is, there's going to be somebody. You, you might might never find this person, but there is somebody out there that will love your music. Um, mm-hmm. And then the other question... Was what again? What is the purpose of music, if <clears throat> any? Um, I hope there's a purpose. Yeah. Well, it, I guess it depends what mood I'm in. Sometimes I'm in a very like, you know, everything serendipitous, and there's fate and whatnot. And other times I think the world is pretty random and that nothing has meaning. But I think right now, if you were to ask me that question, I would say that the point of music is to capture a feeling and um, put it out there. Well, it's different for everybody, obviously. The point the point of, I don't know if there's like some cosmic reason music exists. I think it, it might just be like a fluke, like how life exists, you know. So I think I guess for just music in general, which is a pretty broad definition, the point of it is... Um, it's a way for people to connect, I think, and uh, for people to feel something in a in a world that's very like, this is the answer. Like, we have we treat a lot of things like math problems. You know, like there's one right answer, and this is what you have to do in life, and this is the way it goes. But I really like the idea of people being able to feel something together in a group as listeners or as writers or as a combo of that and um, just have this thing that they can't really explain that just kind of brings everything together. the podcast i asked someone to come up with the intro theme song but you kind of already nailed that one thanks so <laughs> um how about what i oh yeah oh sorry go on no no you i was you gonna first. say it'd be cool to start a tradition for the end of a podcast for me to ask a question for the next guest to answer Ooh, and so at the end of, uh, and then they could maybe ask a question, even if I don't know who the next person is. I ask a question, okay. they answer it, and then pass it on. Sure, let's try it. What What would you ask? Name this chord. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> no. Um. All right, here's my question for the future guest: If you could collaborate, if you could write a song with one songwriter or composer or whatever, um, living or dead, 
from absolutely any era, uh, who would you write that song with and why? Please use complete sentences. <laughs> That's good. I like this idea. You don't have to so, continue this, but that idea. I, but well, it, it'll it, happen it, once at least, and we'll see how it goes. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, I've actually already interviewed the person. Oh, that's right. Who will we'll come do, after just you, pass but it. we'll just keep it down, going down yeah, the line. Yeah, pass it another one down the line. <clears throat> so, but since you nailed the intro theme, what I was going to say is, my challenge to you is, since we're going on a road trip to New England again, I would like to challenge you to write a song in your head again not using a piano okay and then at the end of our trip i will produce the song and sing it sweet so, so i write every, you have to write like, it you, lyrics and lyrics okay and everything cool just i mean i guess you can write those down if you need to sure i can i can write things down like i just can't use an instrument right right okay yeah that's cool Awesome. All right. Sounds like a cool. great challenge. Well, it's been fun having you on the podcast again, Mitch. Thanks, Charlie. Looking forward to our road trip yeah, to New England. Be, it's going to be awesome. Slash, that was awesome yes. since this is airing was, after it. Uh, now okay. we should probably press the magical <coughs> time travel button to go forward, and we'll... Um, Charlie. We went too far into the future. Oh, that's why my back hurts so much. (laughs) Well, now that we're back in the present, I'm happy to say that I had a really fun road trip with Mitch and our friend Pat, who has actually also made a few guest appearances on this podcast. Out in New Hampshire, we got to see the world's largest jack-o'-lantern festival, and we got to play a ton of old arcade games at the world's largest arcade. Then, on the car ride back, Mitch started and finished his song that I challenged him to write, and I'm excited to share that with you in just a second. Uh, But I wanted to say also that if you heard any songs you liked in this episode, make sure to check out the show notes at composerquest.com slash 100. Mitchell's EP, Half Moon Lane, will be out in mid-November, so be sure to check back then. He has kind of an interesting payment method in mind. You're going to be able to either pay $4 on Bandcamp, or you can pledge to go vegetarian or vegan for a week, and he'll send you the EP for free. Now, let's get on to Mitchell's song from our trip. He wrote it without using any instruments, and when he got back, he just recorded a quick piano and voice demo for me. His main instruction to me was to go for a dreamy sound, so I decided to keep it very ambient rather than try to set up a rhythmic groove. So here's Mitchell Adam Johnson's October Dream.
So 